Welcome, everybody, to a special edition of the East Coast Rams podcast. For those new to the podcast, uh, I'm Zach Mayer, joined with my co-host, Ashton Spencer. Ashton, we're finally in Super Bowl week. How's everything going? It's going good. A little under weather, but I'm getting back and strong just in time for this great matchup. Uh, I'm very excited for our guest and to talk some Bengals. I feel like Bengals uh, being in an the other conference and in a very, very unique uh, setup, just like Rams fans haven't really paid attention to that team. We didn't face them this year. Uh, we faced them. I think last time we faced them was in 2019 in that London game. And I think Bengals fans are trying to get that out of their head. So I'm just excited to get that kind of unique perspective. And I'm looking forward to a really entertaining game. I think this is going to be a great matchup for both sides. And uh, it won't lack in surprises and entertainment. Yeah, so we so we brought in a Bengals expert, expert to uh, give us Rams fans an idea of what we're up against um, in the biggest game in, you know, probably the world of sports. Um, so like I mentioned in the last few episodes that I'm, a, you know, I'm a Cincinnati native, um, you know, grew up in the, the Bengals territory and, you know, my whole family's Bengals. So there was only one person who came to my mind, uh, when thinking about what kind of guest we should have on the show. And that is actually my uncle Chris. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, Zach. Hey, Ashton. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So now, now, Chris, I pitched this idea of getting you on the pod, not just because you're my uncle, uh, but because of your um, your expertise in various sports, including the NFL and especially with the Bengals. Um, you're a lifelong fan. Uh, you for seven years, you were um, you were right. You were a draft blogger uh, for the Bengals and for doing NFL draft um, with three of those uh, where you actually owned your own NFL site. Followed that by nine years working um, as a content manager for ESPN Stats and Information Group. So just wanted to kind of throw that out there for those listening um, to kind of get some credibility behind you. How, yeah. how was that experience? Well, I mean, it's, it was great being part of the blogging and po- podcasting world, like in its infancy. You know, back, in, you know, that you know, we're talking almost 20 years ago that I was writing as a Bengals, you know, as a Bengals blogger. Did that, as you said, for, you know, seven years started becoming, you know, became an NFL draft um, blogger and I've ultimately had my own NFL draft website as well as my own NFL podcast. Um, and then obviously switched it over to the job at ESPN when I had that full time, had to to move on from that. But it's just great, you know, being back here is just a great chance to reconnect with that a little bit and just uh, really uh, awesome to see where the world of podcasting and blogging has gone since then. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, let's get started. Uh, let's get into some uh, talk about the Bengals and the Rams. So Bengals are about to face up against the LA Rams in Super Bowl 56, something I actually never thought I would have to say. The last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, I wasn't even born yet. I was like three three months, four months uh, prior to that uh, for being born. But how are, how are you feeling about the Bengals? Uh, how are you feeling going in, with the Bengals going into this season? I think the easiest thing to say is cautiously optimistic. You know, and and when I say that, I mean like maybe they'd be a surprise playoff team. I mean, this team is way ahead of schedule. Um, as we were talking off air before before the show, is you know this is a team we you know looked at seeing them maybe make the playoffs. You know, maybe make the playoffs. That you know, but their real breakout was going to be next year or the year after. So very much cautious, optimistic. You had Burrow coming off the knee injury, but he showed so much promise last year. 
offensive line was a concern. You didn't know what you were getting defensively, but you know, you knew that this team had talent. Um, and I don't think a lot of people nationally had recognized the level of talent this team had had. And it was just a matter of getting things to break in the right direction. So it's just great to see how things played out and, uh, and uh, enjoying the ride. So, you know, going into this season, you know, over the last two years, you've had Zach Taylor, who was a former quarterback coach with the Rams. It kind of looked like this might have been his last year if he didn't prove that, you know, they were more than um, they, they were actually a winning team. Um, what, what do you think made the big difference this year that brought so much success? Well, and I think that number one, I give the Bengals credit, you know, for you know staying the course with him. I mean, most co- coaches would not have had the opportunity coming off the first two seasons that he had to come back and have that third season with him. I mean, if you looked at the Vegas odds, I believe he was the coach most likely to be fired first this year entering the season. And then you just look at this tremendous turnaround. And I think one of the things that's most important to think about when you look at this Bengals team and and what I mean by staying the course. It's not a matter of that they went in and had a bunch of quick fix and panic moves to try to make sure that they won this year, but sacrificed for the future so Zach could save his job. But they really stayed committed to the plan that Zach Taylor brought in three years ago when he was first hired, which was you know fixing the culture, you know improving the defense through free agency, upgrading the offensive line, um, things of that nature, just things that they really tried to stay the course with. Um, that I give them credit for being patient like they were. And it's just something you don't see in today's NFL very often. Yeah, I just want to piggyback off of that and say the culture thing, I think, is an underrated value in the NFL that people don't realize like an NFL locker room culture can make all the difference. And I know for the Rams, we had a very bad culture until Sean McVay came in and to see that a piece of that left and with Zach Taylor, he was able to put in what I assume is a really awesome culture in the Bengals, like a franchise that hasn't seen a winning culture in a few decades. It kind of like the Rams uh, just to see them embrace that and be able to change it and take advantage of the season. It's very impressive. Well, I really want to just follow up on one of the things you said there, Ashton. It's just kind of like because they had won a playoff game in 31 years, people still associate this Bengals team as not having, you know, as just being this franchise of failure. And the one thing you got to look back at is since 2000, when they brought in Marvin Lewis or about 2000, I can't remember the exact year, they've been you know, a relatively competitive team. But the one thing Marvin never was able to do was break through in the playoffs. And, and then obviously they've had the, you know, been, you know, well below average the last couple seasons. So they took a major step back, which has brought back all those memories of those 31 years again, as they were back to doormat status again, you know, and I think it's given people a chance to recall and see that, you know, they haven't been as down for as long as people think, but getting that playoff win was so huge for them. I mean, it just took forever to get there. I mean, I was in high school um, at the time, um, dating myself there a little bit, you know, back the last time that they had won a playoff game, which is just hard to believe. And just one of those things I never really thought about until we actually won that game, what a different, what a, what that period of time was like. I mean, as Zach said before, he wasn't even born yet. So, you know, going into the, going into the season, we saw the Bengals. I mean, we really got to see them from, from the Rams perspective, perspective going into the playoffs. I mean, obviously when you kick out most of the teams, it's really easy to focus on, 
um, the games that are happening in the playoffs. So the wins against the Raiders, the Titans, and the Chiefs to get to them to this level. But what have you seen um, has been their most notable wins in the regular season? And I kind of break this one up into a couple different categories. Number one, I think it's the Vikings game to start the season. You know, that's the one that set the tone for the year, highlighted some of the potential. And then you had the sweeps of Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And that's when you knew that this team was for real. I mean, we're talking about especially Pittsburgh, which is a team that's had the Bengals number um, in recent years. And to see them break through with the sweep um, this year, that's when, you know, those two, you know, being able to dominate those teams in the fashion they did, prove that how what we're for real. And then when they beat Kansas City in week 17, that's when you knew that this team isn't just – a good team and a playoff team, but this, that's when you realized, I don't know that we, you know, obviously we're not the favorite going into the playoffs, but that's when you knew that we were a contender and a threat. And most likely the team, most teams most likely did not want to play against in the postseason. And uh, what would you say was your kind of preseason expectation for them? I know you said you're like a little optimistic, but personally, what did you expect them to end on? And uh, did you expect a playoff run at all? I think the you know, best case scenario was making the playoffs is the way I kind of look at it entering the season. I mean, in the NFL, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, on average, I think seven playoff, you have seven new playoff teams every year in the NFL. So it just shows you that parody and anything can happen. But realistically, if you were to ask me what I thought the rec team's record would be this season, I was thinking eight and eight, you know, the one thing that's kind of hidden under the radar that made you think that there was a little bit of hope was how many close games that they've been in under Zach Taylor. Um, and, but unfortunately their record in those close games was just terrible entering the season. And then this season, those close game, those close losses turned into close wins. Hmm. And was it one of these playoff wins that you were like, oh, we we have a true shot at the Super Bowl? Or was it something later in the season, like a later game where you're like, maybe we really do have a shot at being in the Super Bowl? I think it was beating Kansas City is when so, is when you realize that you're just like, wow. I mean, seeing that game is such an amazing football game. But it was one of those things where I looked at that game and I was like, the one team I do not want to play again in the playoffs is Kansas City because that team is so good. How are we going to beat them twice? Because there were some fluky elements to that win over Kansas City in the regular season, most notably Jamar Chase having a game for the ages. I mean, it's the greatest wide receiver game I can ever remember watching live. Um, it was just a tremendous performance on all levels by Chase. And, you know, that's when you just realize what this team was all about and what a threat we had. But the thing that gets lost in the fact in those Kansas City wins that we had is that first win, we held Kansas City the three points in the second half, all the more reason why I did not want to play that team again. And I have no, you know, it's one of the, the, the elements that's talked about the least regarding this team's run to the Super Bowl was the fact that they beat, not only did they beat Kansas City twice, but they did so with double-digit halftime deficits and by holding the Chiefs to just three points in the second half of both games after watching them in the first half where they couldn't stop their offense at all. Yeah. And also on top of that, uh, out of what, 15 games and uh, to go into overtime in the NFL playoffs, only two losers of the coin toss has actually won ended up winning the game. That was the Rams in 2018 and the Bengals in 2021 against the yeah. Chiefs. 
Well, and equally impressive is the fact that I think Patrick Mahomes has only lost to two quarterbacks all time in the playoffs, and that's Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. Wow. It's crazy to think about. Hard to so, believe, I mean, it's hard to believe once I, I think it's his three, I think it's the three losses. Cause I think it's Brady with the Patriots then with the, you know, then, and then the, um, um, I, you know, and then the, uh, and then the bucks obviously last year. And then this, you know, this year, obviously Burrow got through. So it just, it just shows you the, how difficult um, Mahomes has been to break, you know, to beat in the playoffs. I mean, to make it as far as that team's done, you know, the last four years is, is just an incredible run on their part. Yeah, the AFC uh, QB-wise is so loaded with Allen, Mahomes, you have Burrow, obviously. I feel like you guys are probably going to get Rodgers in there too. So AFC is looking like it's getting stacked. It's the cradle quarterbacks. You didn't even mention Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert. And, I mean, it's the quarterback position – AFC versus NFC is uh, definitely very much weighted in the AFC. And I think that's one of the things longevity wise, when you always like to say, Oh, Mahomes is going to make it to 10 Super Bowls or Burrow's going to win four Super Bowls or Allen's good. The biggest challenge they're all going to have is they're going to be playing each other for a very long time. These are young quarterbacks just entering their prime. So kind of deep diving more into the offense. So Joe Burrow, um, how impressed have you been with him? I mean, this is year two coming off of a torn ACL, MCL, and a partial PCL during week 11 in the 2020 session. I mean, he's, yeah, I mean, he's it's, playing it's, at a high level. It's amazing what Burrow's done in just year two of his career. There's very few quarterbacks I think can rival the level of success he's had in just two years, especially when you look at the fact that of the elevation of hope he's provided to a whole f- franchise. And I think you saw it last year in flashes, um, but Burrow has that rare it factor that you really can't define easily. You know, there's just this level of confidence that not only he brings to his own play, but the players around him. And that's something that this team, you know, desperately needed. Um, and you got to give him a lot of credit for that is part of why this team has, you know, they just developing a reputation of never giving up in games. I mean, they came from those double digits twice to beat the Chiefs, and that's not the first time that they've done that versus opponents this season. It's a very tough second half team, and you never feel out of a of a game. You know, with Burrow at quarterback, and it's really given. You know, you look at the Bengal fandom; they've really cut, rallied kind of around that whole Ted Lasso theme, which is believe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, within that, and I think that Joe Burrow is the key catalyst to that belief that people have in this team and this, and, you know, not only now, but I think into the future, but it's just been, you couldn't ask for a quarterback better in two years in terms of just his ability to do things both on the field and off the field, the impact he's had across the franchise. Yeah. I was actually doing a YouTube channel at the time when he was drafted. And I told my brother-in-law during draft and on one of our videos, I was like, I like Joe Burrow the most out of any QB prospect after Mahomes was drafted. Um, I just felt like his – and you you don't just have to be talented because any QB going into the NFL has talent. But you have to be talented and you have to have the smarts. And it feels like he is able to read coverages, able to make progressions just at a very, very advanced rate for his age and at his experience level in the NFL. And that's what's been so impressive, especially in year two with like your offensive line hasn't been the best this year. Yeah, most, most definitely. I mean, 
to have a quarterback that loves to play out of empty uh, with an offense with that offensive line and the fact that his confidence that he can find the opening in any defense in that coverage that's like their go-to formation when they when they you know when they feel like their backs are against the wall he loves to go to that he always is confident he can find the open guy and it's not a matter of just you know finding chase every time it's the fact that he utilizes all of his weapons in those clutch situations so kind of going into the offensive line tell us a little bit about what happened in the Titans game i mean they allowed 9 sacks they still won which is great but you know, is, is Burrow holding the ball too long? Is he not throwing it away? The offensive line just falling apart. What's going on there? Yeah, you look back at the Titans game. I mean, it definitely was like, as a fan, it's like your worst nightmare as a Bengal fan. I mean, we know that the offensive line is not good. It is not a great unit. That said, it is a much better unit than a year ago, believe it or not. I always like to say that they went from being a hideous offensive line to being a below average offensive line. And unfortunately, when you have a blow average offensive line, you're going to run into games like that from time to time. And I just feel like it was a bad matchup for them uh, in, in two reasons. And we'll get to the, the combination of why this brings me to the Rams and why I have similar concerns is that one of the things that the, that the Titans did a lot of is they did a lot of stunting inside and were able to utilize that to bring interior pressure. And if there's anything that will rattle a quarterback more than anything, it's interior pressure, as Ram fans know. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was just a wrecking crew, was a wrecking ball in that Titans game. And it just, you know, by bringing that interior pressure, it just opened everything up for their pass rush. They were confused by the stunts. And it just made a, a below average offensive line you know, just go back to the hideous nature of a year ago. And that's why you look at this matchup and it's, it's just it's very scary of the thought, seeing what Jeffrey Simmons did to us and knowing that we've got Aaron Donald, you know, coming up against us here in the Super Bowl. And, you know, the one thing I will say about this offensive line, the Bengals this year, because obviously it is their biggest weakness. There's no argument about it. Um, is that the one thing and part of why I say that they're vastly improved is they don't hurt them. They still allow the sacks. They still allow pressure, although I don't think it's at the quite the same rate, but they don't get a lot of penalties on the offensive line this year. Whereas last night, uh, last year, they were a false start penalty waiting to happen, constantly getting false starts and holding calls. And those, the penalties um, have been vastly reduced this year. I mean, actually, the Bengals overall are one of the least penalized teams in the NFL, and I think the offensive line's improvement in that particular area has helped make their their poorest play a little bit better as a result. But I still I have nightmares of Aaron Donald. Mm. Yeah, uh, if Zach Taylor is listening, don't worry. That AD guy, he he's not a big deal. Just leave one block on him at all times. <laughs> No, like you said, I think that's a big deal, not having a lot of penalties. And that's one thing Sean McVay brought into L.A. was a really, really good enough culture, like really good at uh, executing plays without causing penalties. And um, people don't realize when you don't shoot yourself in the foot, it makes it a lot easier to win the game. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, those are the things that you have to avoid. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, that's what every team talks about is to avoid putting yourselves in those third and longs, especially when you have a weak um, offensive line. You just cannot put yourself in that situation. And, you you know, because you know, then they know exactly what you're going to do. And it just makes it so much everything defensively so much easier when you do that to yourself. So they've avoided some of that more often than not this year. Ironically, you know, if you look at the playoffs, they allowed you know, nine sacks versus the Titans, but in the other two games, I think they've allowed three combined. So they've played better in their other games offensive line-wise, but it's still, 
it's still my biggest concern. It's the match as a Bengal fan, the matchup to watch is how the Bengals offensive line does versus the Rams pass rush in particular. Well, having Joe Mixon helps out a lot too. You would think so, but the challenges, and I think part of this is part of what magnifies the Bengals offensive line struggles is they don't, they don't run the ball especially well. I mean, Mixon's averaging about four yards a carry. I mean, he's not a bad – Mixon's a pretty solid running back. But in clutch situations where the Bengals need to get a third and two, they almost never run the ball because they do not trust their offensive line to consistently open up holes and to get that push up front. And it puts even more pressure on Burrow. And that's one of the areas where Burrow's been especially strong this year has been in those third and short and passing you know, to convert those situations. Yeah. I noticed a lot of quick uh, slants by you guys and a lot of like really good screen passes against the tight ends. And I felt like against a pass rush, like the Rams, that could be very useful. Uh, You've got to be able to keep your, uh, the ball out of your hands going quick. You don't want to hold on to it long and give Von Miller an 80 any time to get up the field. And um, I do think you guys are built to kind of, as long as you're not getting behind by too much, uh, stay in the game using a lot of different tools, tricks, um, and just with those amazing receivers. Like, you don't really need to throw 40 yards down the field because Jamar Chase can get 40 on his own. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how they scheme around that pass rush. As you just said, I'm expecting a lot of quick passes and some screens, you know, to kind of, you know, to slow that pass rush down a little bit. Hopefully get, you know, get into a rhythm early on offense in that regard because I don't, you know, they'll try running the ball, but I have a feeling that that won't be as effective. I think one of the key things is going to be are the Bengals able to take those shot plays? that you know, when their offense is really humming, they're able to hit a big play or two here and there. That's been one of the biggest you know differences in this offense this year is their ability to get those big plays. That's one of the biggest things that Chase in particular has brought to this offense, and we haven't seen much of it in the playoffs. They have not been able to get those big plays. They've had to work the ball down the field, and as a result, the offense, while very effective and Burrow's playing very well, the offense has not had a great game in the playoffs just yet. They've had great plays and they've had singular moments, but they have not had a great offensive game that we've seen at many aspects of the season. Oh, I definitely think you're going to get like a 70 yard touchdown against us against Darius Williams, or uh, I could definitely see uh Weddle giving up uh like you guys are just built to bomb us at least once in this game. And I just, I already setting up my expectations to have one of those deep balls go to Jamar Chase and have him just take it over probably Eric Weddle or like Darius Williams. Because Darius Williams has taken a step back from a great 2020 season. He's been all right to average this year. And uh, the problem with Jalen Ramsey is he's in start position. He isn't always going to be covering Jamar Chase. I think they're going to make him a little bit uh, more covering Jamar Chase than they normally would in the start position, but I don't anticipate him being on it every snap like he was in 2020 season against like number one wide receiver. It's just the Rams are doing different stuff with their defense and that will be something you guys can take advantage of. 
Well, one of the things I'm curious to see is how do the Bengals find ways to get Chase the ball, as you just said, because Jalen Ramsey is going to be a tough matchup on him. And you've been noticing as the season's progressed, those shot plays haven't been as available to Chase. And one of the adjustments they've had to make as an offense in the latter half of the season is it's not you know it's finding ways to manufacture touches for Chase, which has led to some of those great plays like that play against the Chiefs in the regular season where he basically outran the whole defense. Um, and he's been getting a lot more yards after catch than he did prior, you know, previously earlier in the season. I mean, I've noticed that, you know, he's been doing also a lot of jet sweeps. Um, he, he seems to be trying to do a lot more of maybe what Debo Samuels was doing with the 49ers. But is that something that, you know, the Rams are now on to? They know that they're going to try to get him the ball and that's going to be their number one target to to remove him from the game and other in other aspects. Well, I'm sure that most teams, what you're seeing most teams doing against them lately is they're trying to make people other than Chase beat them. And the Bengals have the weapons to do that. And when you look at the jet sweeps and stuff that they're doing, that they're using Chase with and they use Boyd with and whatnot, that's straight out of the Rams playbook um, for the most part. That's where you see the influence of Sean McVay in the Bengals offense, to be honest. No, for sure. I mean, you know, we're, we're we keep hearing this whole week that it's going to be the Burrow Chase versus the Stafford Cup uh, kind of matchup. Um, what what are your thoughts about the differences between those those two, you know, QB wide receiver combos? Well, I think this is a great question that you're asking here because I think it's you know when you think of it as you look at the Bengals offense, you think Burrow Chase, and obviously Rams, you think of Cup Stafford, and I think they're very different in the way that each of those offenses utilize those individual players. You know, in the case of Stafford and Cup, I mean, that is the key to the Rams offense this season. I mean, 145 catches this year. He is makes up 40% of their receiving yards. You know, he beats you out of the slot primarily, um, which will make the matchup with Mike Hilton in particular very interesting. And then, you know, and it's also been seen that one of the things I think that's making the Rams even more dangerous as you get to the postseason has been the emergence of Odell Beckham. It makes them so much harder to defend and makes so it makes it so much harder to take Cup away. And it's almost like, you know, that Cup's going to get his yardage because they're going to manufacture the touches to him and you're trying to minimize what everybody else does. Now you got Beckham, another weapon that makes it you know them even more dangerous. But I think that that is the key to the Rams offense's Cup. Whereas when you look at Burrow and Chase... You know, the Bengals offense doesn't really revolve around Chase. Rather, when Chase gets going, it just means the Bengals offense is more opened up um, and, you know, creates not only the big plays, but the mismatches when that happens. But the Bengals have had games, especially in the middle of the season, where Chase was, you know, was large. It wasn't a, a huge factor in the offense. He wasn't it wasn't week in and week out from a fantasy standpoint in a PPR league. It wasn't like you knew you were going to get 10 touches in 100 yards every week like you would with Cup. You had a little bit more of that boom and bust um, as a result of it. But, you know, by comparison, he only makes up about 33 um, percent of the receiving yards of the of the Bengals offense. And they've got those other weapons um, that they have, you know, Higgins or Boyd or even Uzama, Mixon, as you've mentioned. I mean, this is a team that's got a lot of offensive weapons and that we've seen consistently throughout the season that the Bengals, they dare you to try to take away one one particular option because they know that it opens up another option. The last game against Kansas City, Chase was largely bottled up, but T. Higgins had a big game. That's the type of thing with the Bengals' offense and the way it's set up currently. It's kind of like, it's kind of there's a little bit of a pick-your-poison 
type of thing. And the one thing we know more than anything is opponents are, are, you know, in the playoffs have been looking to take away the big play, which is why I think we've seen the Bengals offense sputter a little bit more in the postseason than they had during the regular season. Still good, but not at the great level that we had seen previously. Yeah, it's kind of funny how closely these two teams kind of mirror each other with how they're structured, uh, how they have a whole host of weapons to draw upon. I know, like, a lot of people don't realize, like, Stafford has a great connection with Tyler Higby. He won't be playing, but our backup tight end has been playing great. You got Van Jefferson getting a few catches. You even had a seventh-round rookie, Ben Skoranek, almost have a catch in the conference championship. He just dropped it. So there's a lot of different pick or poison elements to both teams. Um, It's going to be a big deal to try to close down cup, try to make sure he's bottled up during the game by the Bengals defense. How exactly do you think they can achieve that um, going against all the different uh, weapons we have? Well, and I think that's going to be one of the big challenges that the Bengals have defensively is, number one, what do you do versus Cup? You know, and what I anticipate is they're going to use, uh, you know, Mike Hilton is going to be the primary defender. He's one of the top nickel uh, corners in the league. And so he does good in those short spaces. They'll probably give him safety help over the top to help, you know, avoid the big plays. And they're also probably, you know, man up a on Beckham as much as possible so that they can make players – they're going to try to make the Rams use players other than Cup and Beckham to beat them as best they can. Cup and Beckham, you can't take them away. It's just not possible. But you can hopefully minimize their damage by you know marking those players up as well as they have. And I think the other thing the Bengals are really hoping for is that they can get pressure with their front four. They're much more, you know, they're, they'll blitz on occasion. They'll manufacture pressures. Hilton's actually a good blitzer as well, but they're not going to be able to do that as easily because they're going to need him on cup. So they really need the, you know, their front four to be able to bring pressure without the assistance of, you know, frequent blitzers uh, and things of that nature. Cause you know, ultimately what the Bengals did in the second half versus Kansas city is they doubled Kel. They dropped, they rushed three, dropped eight and they doubled Kelsey and they, and they doubled Hill to minimize, you know, the weapons and try to make other players beat them. I think the Bengals, well, I don't think they're going to be doing the drop eight. I expect them to take a similar strategy and that they're going to try to make other players beat them as much as, as much as that's possible when you play the Rams. Well, I, I actually think they'll probably try to do drop eight most because that's been one of the top five defenses Stafford has struggled with this year is the drop eight, um, style of defense i think the problem with uh just trying to straight up manning cup is they'll put him in the back running back position and then next play he'll be back uh in the slot and then he'll go straight on the outside and if you're doing that and trying to keep one guy on it especially like a slot corner i don't know how well that's going to stretch your defense like they will move cup to every position on the board um, and he has catches from every position. They'll put him in tight end because he can block a run. So it'll be interesting how they account for that. And uh, personally, I would think that drop eight defense would probably be the best for you guys if you can get pressure with three guys. Yeah, I mean, if they can't, I mean, that's the key. Can they? The Bengals somehow did that versus Kansas City, especially late, as they got just they just you know got in Mahomes' head a little bit, I think, in terms of just not being able to see the field properly 
And, you know, because the one thing I can tell you is I do not think the Bengals are going to have Hilton shadow Cup all over the field. That's not going to happen. If Cup's in the slot, Hilton will probably be covering him the majority of the time. You know, if he goes to the outside, they're going to go with Apple. They're going to go with Awuzie and match him up. The Bengals have been comfortable with their corners this year, putting them in the coverage. And obviously keep an eye out for Jesse Bates. He's one of the, you know, he didn't have a great regular season. Um, but he's having a tremendous postseason. He's one of the best center fielder type safeties in the NFL and a pro- probably the key free agent the Bengals have after this season uh, to keep an eye on as well. But tremendous postseasons bringing that market value for him back up once again. Yeah, I love your guys' safeties. They're just excellent young safeties. And if you guys can keep them, they'll be a big piece next year for you guys. So, so for me, I, you know, one of the reasons why I don't think they will do a drop eight is just because of our, our running game. And I don't think that they are going to risk um, letting Cam Akers go off um, if they, if they drop everyone back. That's kind of my opinion. What are your thoughts? How the Bengals don't, when I look at their stats, they're, they're uh, against the run They're They haven't been so great against that. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're not tremendous at it. You know, this is a, the Bengals defense is very much a bend, but don't break type defense this is not a you know as as good as as much improved as this defense is it's still not a dominant defense they've had dominant stretches most notably those two second halves you know versus uh the chiefs but you know when called upon though i think they have defended the run well when they've needed to like dj readers the key to the Bengals' run defense key free agent signing two years ago flies under the radar because nobody ever talks about nose tackle type types but i mean he had a just completely dominant performance occupying blockers and just wrecking havoc on the Titans in particular. And I think that the key there is if the Rams can run the football, it just opens everything else up. Fortunately, that's not been the Rams strong suit in the playoffs as I don't think they've even been averaging three yards a carry um, in the playoffs so far. Cam Akers is kind of that wild card, knowing that you got him back as kind of a bonus player late in the season. Um, coming off his injuries and you know I think he's a little bit of the x factor to keep an eye out for but if the Rams are running the football as a Bengal fan I'm not feeling good because it it forces you to change everything else you do but I think that they're going to count on Reader um, in particular to lead the charge against the run and hopefully hold the fort and allow the you know force the Rams to be the pass heavy offense um, that we know them to be. I mean, uh, you also have to remember to take some of that, at least last two games, with a grain of salt just because of facing the Buccaneers and 49ers. I believe they're both top 10 in run defense. So the Rams, uh, and I loved how Sean McVay was running the ball against 49ers because he didn't expect those plays to go far, but they were trying to keep the 49ers defense honest with play action. Um, making sure they continuously bite because you don't need runs to actually execute play action, but you need the presence of runs, the the ability to scare the defense into you might be running to actually be able to execute those play actions just a a quick second better, uh, hold those defenders just half a second more in order for them to really, really utilize those plays to the most efficiency. So... Oh, really? Yeah. Ashton, you're right. I mean, you're spot on with that. I mean, that is, I mean, that's the, the Sean McVay offense, you know, in a nutshell, and the Bengals use the run the same way. 
You know, they're not a great run. You know, the Rams are not a great running team, but it's the mere threat of it. You need to do it enough just to make the play action work. You need to do it to wear the defense out so that you can run to get yardage when you need to. I mean, Bengals in the, against Kansas City, they were able to, you know, they weren't able to run the football the whole game, but were able to do it in the second, you know, late in their in overtime in particular because they never gave up on the run and they were constantly doing it, trying to wait for that opportunity where it would finally work. Um, but you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's the key to the Rams, you know, offense is making sure that they always have at least a little bit of the run, just enough to make the play actions and all the different motions and things of that nature that they do really work. Plus, if you overlook it, a player like Cam Akers could break a big play at any moment. He's mm-hmm. loaded with talent. You know, I mean, he's really could be, you know, if there's a breakout player in the Super Bowl on, on either team, Cam Akers could be that player. Yeah, he's due for one, especially after his injury. And I think one thing uh, people especially don't realize about the Rams is eventually uh, when we went through that spell, it was because we stopped trying to run the ball as much. We had injuries on Henderson. We only had Sony Michelle. Uh, We didn't have Cam Akers at that time. And we lost three back-to-back because I feel like Sean McVay just – didn't have the faith in the running game and he didn't even try to. And when you do that and you don't have creative ways of running the ball or alternatives to running the ball, like quick screens, bubble screens, a quick slant or stuff like that. And you're just trying to do drop back passing. You've seen this with the Bengals a few times when they've lost. It's just, it becomes a nightmare and your team is just constantly dropping back and getting pressure on them. And we have a really good offensive line and our offensive line struggled a lot whenever we just completely forgot about the uh, run game. And that's why I was happy to see later in the season, uh, Sean McVay stay a little bit more reliant to that. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, that's, it's going to be interesting to see the chess match, that these coaches have and how much are they going to be willing to run knowing that they, you know, both of their offenses are predicated on great passing offenses and will they use the, you know, and a lot of times they talk about using the run to set up the pass. These teams tend to use the pass to set up the run in many cases. And that's what makes their offense especially deadly when they can. So going, going to the, the, the quarterback for, you know, Stafford, do you think the defense can put enough pressure on Stafford for him to, you know, not be able to find his targets to, you know, you know, block his eyes from, you know, seeing the targets down the field, get a sack, things like that. I think, you know, the, the key's going to, I mean, it's, I think that's the most important thing for this Bengals defense to be able to achieve is just that. And I think the matchup to watch is Mark Hendrickson on Andrew Whitworth. You know, I love wit to the core. I mean, tremendous Bengal on the offensive line play of the Bengals drop precipitously the moment that he moved out and played with the Rams, but he's, you know, playing, I mean, how in the world is he playing left tackle at the age of 40 um, and playing at, at generally a high level, not as high as he used to be, but still a high level um, left tackle like he is going against an energizer bunny in Mark Hendrickson, who's, you know, had set the Bengals sack record for most, um, you know, consecutive weeks with a sack. And he's just relentless in his pressure um, that he brings. And he's, just got a constant motor. And I just think that he's going to, you know, you're, he's one of those players where you feel like you have him stopped and you got him bottled up and he comes up with a big play um, and brings that pressure. And I think you're going to see it more than spurts. I don't think you're going to see Stanford under consistent pressure, but I think you're going to see pressure in moments. I think interiorly that's BJ Hill 
you know, is a, you know, is the backup, um, the third defensive tackle during the regular season forced into the starting lineup with Larry Ogunjobi's unfortunate injury. You know, he hopefully can bring a little bit interior wise, pass rushing wise. And Sam Hubbard has had a great playoff and picks moments to be that two way defense, you know, defensive end that gets, He's not known as a great pass rusher, but he's but he is known to make big plays in key moments, and I think that that's what we're looking for with that. I mean, it's Hendrickson's the one I think you can count on bringing the pressure. It's will can Hill or Hubbard, you know, get enough juice around, you know, enough juice and pressure just to keep Stafford, give him a little bit of happy feet, make him force a throw, make him rush a throw. You know, that's you know Stafford's bugaboo is when he he has a tendency to trust his arm a little bit too much, which is what can lead to those. Um, those interceptions that tend to, you know, that tend to be frustrating at times throughout his career. That said, he's been very clean in the playoffs so far with just one pick versus six touchdowns. All right. So kind of going into some of our final questions that I have for you. Um, so what are, so what are the key factors for success for the Bengals? If you I can summarize the, it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's trying to be as brief as I can. I think number one is avoid big plays on defense. Number two they need to get into an, a rhythm on offense and they got to get into that rhythm early. They tend to be, the Bengals have a tendency to be slow starters at, at times. I don't think they can afford to do that um, in this game. And then the other one that I think is, is one of the keys to the game in general is success on first down on both sides of the ball. They need to keep the offense, you know, in good situations down and distance wise, because that's, what's going to open up those shot plays on offense. And that's, what's going to unleash the pass rush on defense. If they're able to achieve that. Uh, what's the sack threshold in your opinion that the Bengals can go up to and still win this game of Joe, Joe Burrow getting sacked. I'm not worried about the sack count. Uh, I think the key is going to be the pressure rate and his ability to maintain his pocket presence and pocket awareness. I mean, ideally, you want to keep him under three sacks. I think it's going to be hard to keep him, um, you know, to just three, you know, to you know, to fewer than three. I mean, but we saw the Titans. I mean, they sacked him nine times, which is like unheard of in playoff history to win a game with that many sacks. But the thing is, Burrow just finds a way. You know, and he finds a way to make plays in those key moments. So the amount of sacks isn't going to bother me as much as the timing of those sacks. You know, the one thing I know is the Rams are going to bring pressure. Is Burrow going to be able to get, you know, to you know get rid of the ball and avoid key stops in key situations? And I, I, I think it's going to be hard for us to figure out. And it's just a, that's just the, that is the matchup to watch is how does Burrow adapt to the pressure? Because they're going to have it. They're going to bring it. The right side of the Bengals' offensive line, frankly, just isn't good enough to avoid pressure. But are they going to make enough plays outside of it to overcome that? I think is going to be the key. If you know he's able to get the ball downfield, I you know that'll help him overcome some of those sacks. But it's it's going to be tough. I mean, it's the Rams' pass rush is fierce, and it is a a really really tough matchup. I think, and that's going to be the the key to this football game, in my opinion, is how well. Not only how much they avoid the sacks, but how much they can just keep give Burrow time to get rid of the football and make plays. Um, he has not had a lot of that time in the playoffs, and I think as a as a Bengal fan, you can only hope that this is the offensive game where the where the, the game where the offense breaks through because I think they've been winning these playoff games as much for their defense as they have for their offense. If if you had to choose between which phase of uh, of the game you you would be most concerned with, is it the offense, defense, special team seems to be doing pretty good for you guys? Is is there one of those that most concerns you? 
I mean, it's 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 going back to just my last answer. It's offensive line play. Can they run the football? Can they give Burrow a chance? You know, if it's a game like they had against Tennessee where he's just under constant duress, I just can't see how he could win two playoff games like that. And it's a, it's the offensive line play in general is the key to this football game, in my opinion, for you know, for the Bengals. How well that line can hold up. They don't have to play great. They just have to play average football and to avoid key mistakes at key times. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this interview. Um, you can always send questions and feedback to feedback at eastcoastrams.com or hit us up on Twitter. Uh, reminder, we still have a preview episode that's going to come prior to uh, the big game on Sunday. So stay tuned for that. You can follow me at Zach Mayer or uh, you can follow Ashton at, at RamsFanAshton1. Big shout out to our guest, Chris Mayer, for taking time uh, to have this conversation with us. Um, is there anything you want to you want to say? No, I just want to say, hey, let's just have a great Super Bowl. I think it's a tremendous matchup. Really appreciate you having me on. You know, Rams, this is a great opportunity for you to obviously win the Super Bowl as a Bengal fan. We're really excited, too. i just hoping for some great football, a great game for both sides. And if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, not that Rams fans will probably do that, you can follow me at Bengals Chase on Twitter. All right. Anything else you want to add, Ashton? Uh, no, I agree with you. I feel like, uh, at least from my perspective, there aren't many other teams I like as much as the Bengals outside of the Rams, clearly. Uh, so having two really likable teams in the Super Bowl is uh, pretty rare. So uh, it's just really good storylines all around. And whoever wins it, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of good stories that come out of it. And Hopefully it's a great game that comes down to the wire and I'm just hoping selfishly the Rams are the ones and, you know, you guys have like 10, 15 more years of Joe Burrow. He can wait a few more years. I think Stafford has (laughs) waited long enough in uh, football purgatory. Either right. You're going to have a, a drought is going to be broken for somebody. Their Matthew Stafford's going to have that breakthrough win. He's been looking through his whole career. Or the Bengals are going to get that first Super Bowl title for their franchise, which I know how much that would mean you know, for Cincinnati. And as you guys talked about at the top, it's going to be very hard for, for Burrow. You never know when the Bengals are going to get back to the Super Bowl again, no matter how good the talent is because of all those quarterbacks in the AFC. So we'll see. It should I mean, be a great game. And even if you think about it, for L.A., this is their first Super Bowl. Um, for most fans who live in the L.A. region, a lot of them weren't St. Louis Rams fans. They're now coming back to being L.A. Rams fans. So even even this kind of clears up a, a winning drought for the L.A. Rams. So um, really looking forward to the game. You know, obviously, you know, the Bengals have a special place in my heart with all my family rooting them on. And I get to watch everyone's Facebook posts cheering and supporting them. And I'm kind of like in my lone little corner on Twitter with my Rams uh, family. But I appreciate everyone who has listened, liked, subscribed, and shared this pod. Um, if you haven't, please do. Um, the, the Ramley is truly the best, and we will catch you next time.